So um, just as a reminder, um, you know, the first two was bold proclamations and it was uh, open, open invitations. And that was kind of, kind of a framework. But as we get into the evangelistic um, um, mindset of Spurgeon and, um, and, and, and the idea here is for us, first of all, to start thinking about evangelism, but also to kind of, kind of get some um, roots and some framework. Um, we don't have to take everything that Spurgeon did, but it at least should to stimulate some thoughts. Um, if you've ever evangelized or tried to evangelize or had a heart to evangelize, you've, you've ran into challenges. And so hopefully um, some of his, his um, um, detailed thinking about the challenges he faced kind of helps you navigate through some of yours but but um after the bold proclamations and the um open invitations which was which was kind of of a style or a, a framework it, it goes through these five things um tender appeal so he he uh, made he he came across as that he really cared for his listener. Um, one of the things is when we share the gospel and I'll talk about this a little bit maybe t today but but the biblical gospel is a, uh, I'll probably talk about it in this next little section, but the, but in, in simple terms, the biblical gospel is offensive to the flesh and it has to be, it has to be offensive to the flesh so that it will call the new life to, to be, be a reality. So when we do a seeker friendly gospel, what we're actually trying to do is we're trying to be non-offensive to the, to the whole the whole the old man or the flesh, which is what the gospel has to be offensive to, to bring about the new life. Um, so anyway, the first thing he did was he did it in tender appeals. So he did it with them knowing that they cared about him. Like I had a guy one time, he just kept rebelling from Christ, rebelling from Christ. And um, I kept sharing the gospel with him. And he told me, he said, man, you know, he said, I don't really want to serve Christ. But one thing I know is that that you love me. And, and I thought that was weird, but it's it's kind of this point is even though you're telling them something that they don't want to hear, do they know that you care about them? Um, do they know that you're willing to take um, uh, it at personal cost and humiliation to share them what you believe to be true? I think it was said about Whitfield. There was this famous atheist or something went to hear Whitfield preach. And when they saw that atheist show up at Whitfield's um, preaching, they said, well, have you become a Christian? He's like, you know, no. And they're like, well, why are you here? I didn't think you believed in Christ and uh, our, our God. And he said, well, I don't believe in him, but Whitfield believes in him. And basically what he was saying is he wanted to see someone that believed with all the fiber of their being in something, even though it was something he didn't believe in. And so tender appeals and just moving on. He used the mind and he gave them sound reasoning, compelling persuasions. And then today we're looking at authoritative commands and severe warnings. So as you begin to spend some time developing yourself as a Christian and praying through um, the challenges of evangelism in 2020, and what can you do? What little step can you do to make an impact in, in building the kingdom and be a better steward of, of getting the gospel out there in such a way that it impacts people. This is, gives you a little bit of framework of how Spurgeon did it through these, these five um, points. Um, so let me see. Um, where was I at? Um, so let's look at this authoritative commands page. Um, I may have been jumping around there. Page 78 is where it starts there. And, um, and I'll just open up with this question is the gospel an, an, an imperative or an indicative? Now, I've heard people use this in theological terms. And to be honest with you, I probably really didn't fully understand it. So I, I, I consulted Webster Dictionary a little bit here. Um, I know some of y'all are smarter than me and you didn't have to do that. But I had to just ask myself, what is the difference between imperative and addictive? When I looked at the imperative uh, imperative definition, it just kind of said command, um, be forceful. The indicative really was a little bit more um, complicated, but it was more of a suggestion. But as I processed it, 
I thought about that old um, deal where we say, I don't want to be a bench warmer. I want to get in the game. Coach, put me in the game. And I thought that was a good picture of what Spurgeon is getting out at and what the author is getting at about our approach to where we, where we share the gospel. Um, are we just sitting back observing? Are we too passive about how we engage with people in the gospel? Or do we want to get in the game? Um, some could say Spurgeon went too far, far and tried to force or manipulate people. And we, we say that we don't sell the gospel, we share the gospel. So we don't want to come across as a evangelist um, and such a, like a, a, a used car salesman where we're just selling um, uh, cliche phrases and stuff like that. We, we want to be a person that, that, the, uh, the, that the, our audience feels we care about them and that we understand th th them. But we also want to be a person that, um, that doesn't um, um, just so easily take note that we are pressing in and pressing on and, and, and deeply desiring for this person to listen. Um, uh, let's see. I, I wanted to see um, in the... In the first of, well, so so I'm gonna ask you that. Let me just pause for a second with that question. So, anybody on that thought? Does anybody have any objections or any any thoughts about kind of how Spurgeon was? I mean, Spurgeon thought it was an imperative, not an indicative. Sometimes we get we we get where we just want to kind of give the information and um and kind of let them do just see what happens kind of deal where where Spurgeon was a little bit more get up in their in their grill if you would say or get up in their face what's y'all's thoughts on that um do you feel compelled to be a little bit more outgoing about your presentation of the gospel you know what's what's your thoughts Everybody's muted. We have to let Mr. Wayne go first. He'll go first. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could get that, that way, and it's just not in, not yet in my spiritual capability because um, I don't want to be passive. But every time I try a little harder, I see somebody turning the other way. Then I then I also worry what Jesus said: uh, "What you do to the least of my children, you do to me." I don't want to turn anybody away. So I admire, or truly admire, someone like Spurgeon. But to me, it seems like you either have that gift or you have to wait for that gift from the Holy Spirit to be able to do that sort of thing. So, like, I, I think one thing you bring up is I think sometimes we can be too aggressive. We can be obnoxious in a way that we're, we're trying to be. And we can sense that the person is kind of repelling our personality. So... So, uh, you know, I think that's something surely to consider. Any Anybody else? I would say the unworthiness. I don't, sometimes I don't feel worthy to sit there and glorify God to others and tell them what they need um, just because I know my past. Yeah. When I, when I, read, when I read like this, I, I think about, you know, we, I think our human nature is to be fearful of failure and like when Spurgeon's speaking like in these in these paragraphs that we read here he's speaking as, as though him uh, presenting the gospel to a group of to a congregation uh, to a church whereas like us here today if we were to go out and preach the gospel it's going to be mainly one-on-one -on -one, which I think that brings that escalates the fear of us being turned down or being neglected so it's I think we we would be more uh, hesitant to be so aggressive if it was a one-on-one -on -one situation, especially if it was probably with somebody that we don't know, even probably with a friend, because we wouldn't want to, uh, which is not not necessarily that's the right thing to do, but to be more passive with a friend when we're presenting the gospel, you know, so that we don't hurt their feelings and they don't want to talk to us anymore. And but when, when Spurgeon's speaking here, he's very, uh, you know, forceful, which is a, in a good way, but at the same time, he's speaking to a whole congregation. And so his, his fear of failure might not be as high as ours would be in today's world. You know, it's a different time, I guess. It makes you wish you knew personally what it was like, you know? Hmm. What do you think, Mike? You got anything on that or? 
Yeah, Rusty brings up a good point. You know, I wasn't thinking along those terms when, he, when we were talking about that, but that's absolutely true. You know, you got people that came to a church. So, yeah, you, you, you have an audience that came to listen, if you will, whereas, you know, we may be uh, navigating in some different territory. Um, overall, I mean, I, it's, I think you just have to be sensitive to what, what God's doing in that person's life. Sometimes it may be more forceful from your perspective. Other times it may not, but I mean, I think you guys know where I stand and I think it's very biblical that unless God is drawing that person, then our words don't really matter in a sense. I mean, yeah, we plant planting seeds and things like that, but ultimately it's, it's God that's opening the ears, opening the eyes so that they can see. Um, and then at that point, our words do have meaning, but ultimately it's, it's his spirit drawing them to himself and we're just a vessel being used. Yeah. And so and to that point, you know, the book is pretty balanced. We're trying to focus on the content here, but the book is pretty balanced when it gets to the Holy spirit, it shows Spurgeon's um, that, that part of the, you know, if it's a two-sided coin, I mean, there, there's the human responsibility that we are bold enough to, to get out there and, and make these um, gospel proclamations. But Spurgeon also showed that humble side of the coin where he realized that, that if the Holy spirit wasn't engaged, um, he, he couldn't do nothing. Um, so in these four objections in this part here, um, one's a, this one's a little bit different, but I'll just throw it out there. Um, the objection would be, we don't need to force the gospel down people's throat. We've all heard that. Um, and so you ask yourself, okay, it sounds like Spurgeon is trying to force, you know, to some degree, forcing people down the throat. Are you, are you here? The book is coming is saying, let's get out there. Let's engage, whatever. But in, um, in the sixth section of the eight in this chapter four, um, on the third paragraph, it says, um, sinful man, man, because of his, of his fallen nature, or let me see if I can find that third paragraph, uh, Six eight, some. I guess that'd be on, on uh, yeah. So it's the it's it's on top of the first paragraph, kind of on seventy nine. One of Spurgeon's reasons for preaching this way was that he understood that sinful man, because of his fallen nature, always postpones obedience to God. I can say for my my testimony as a kid being in church most all my life, uh. When, when you make a, when the pastor, let's just say it that way, when the pastor makes a gospel invitation and he is calling you to respond to Christ, then the Holy Spirit is there saying, listen to this, listen to that. He's, he's giving life to the pastor's words. He's pricking your heart and saying, you need to step out in obedience in there. And so you hear this calling, um, um, in, in this way, um, and, and, but, but you, you have like, so what he's saying here, simple man, because of his fallen nature. So you're, you have a fallen nature. Um, even if you are saved and you have the spirit living in you, you have a fallen nature, but that fallen, what, what Spurgeon is calling out here is that that fallen nature will always postpone obedience to God. And so think about that for a minute. So if you've never been saved, you've never been regen regenerated, and all you have is a fallen nature, and the Holy Spirit is outwardly calling you to respond to the gospel and to, and to confess lordship to Christ, or if you're a Christian and you still have that fallen nature in you, and it's kind of a Romans 7 kind of thing where there's a weakness of that body of death, um, either way, the flesh is always going to postpone stepping into the light. And so because of that truth that Spurgeon realized and believed to be an impact and a hindrance to the gospel moving forward, this is why he felt like all of this, this bold proclamation. So he knew the Holy Spirit had to open it up to him, but he also knew that if he was too passive, I think about it as a parent sometimes, sometimes as a parent, you got to tell your kids, step up and get get with it. I don't want to hear no more excuses. And so sometimes that's the way it is in dealing with the fallen nature of mankind in, in, a, in, a, in a person that's just 
lost or in church, either way, as long as the fallen nature, the sin nature is having an impact on their actions and choices, sometimes we have to say, it's time to stop making excuses and dilly-dallying around and let's get with the program. You know, it's sometimes we've got to call people out and there's a time and a place for that. And we could, we shouldn't do it every, every, every word that comes out of our mouth that we become obnoxious, but there's a time and a place. And I think the Holy Spirit pricks that on your heart. Cause I've said some things to people that was bold before that the Holy Spirit pricked on my heart that like the, the other person in me is like, what are you doing? You know, my wife is looking at me like, are you crazy? Did, did you know you offended him? And I mean, and a lot of times I had no apologies about it because I was like, yeah, the Holy Spirit told me to offend him. I just offended him. <laughs> you know, so anyway, but I was probably so um, objection one is we 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 don't need to force the gospel down people's throat. And just let me give you these. Uh, um let me give you, I, I sent it on the outline. So let's, let's just look at these other three real quick. Um, we don't need to force the gospel down people's throat. I, and then, and, the, and, and that was that, but, but these three kind of go together. They're more simple. They're more practical is you're, you're sharing the gospel with someone and they say, I'm not ready or qualified to be saved. And that's even similar to what Shane said a a while ago, where on the flip side of that, we can say we're not ready or qualified to share with other people the gospel, or um, we feel like we're not worthy to share with the other people the gospel. Um, I think Shane has heard this before, but I've I've shared that story before where um, I, I, I looked at kind of some internet porn and felt real ashamed of myself and felt unworthy and unqualified. And a, a homeless guy kind of came up to the car and was like, I want to get some food. And I felt so dirty. And I was like, I don't want to talk about grace and mercy and be loving and stuff. I just want this guy to go away. And I kind of started shooing him off. And he said, I said, man, I ain't got no money. And he said, man, I don't need no money. I just need to know where a Burger King is. I got a gift card. And um, and I was able to, oh, but no problem. I know where a Burger King is. So sometimes we need to, to realize our role is not about how worthy we are. We might be dirty. We might be insufficient or whatever. But we know someone that knows Christ that's not dirty, that's not sufficient. And at the end of the day, um, you know, they just need the food of life. You know, and if, if, if they come and say, Hey, where's a local church? Where's a good pastor? It don't matter how bad and you, you can be in a bar and don't cheat on your wife and every other thing. You can still point them to a good church and a good pastor. You know, even if the person's in the bar cheating on his wife, you know, right there, all of that. So don't let your qualifications, um, stop you from, you know, sharing the gospel. Um, but I'm not ready or qualified to be saved. I don't make quick decisions. And let me pray, let me think about. So these were all things where people were trying to buy time on a serious issue that Spurgeon, in different ways, you'll see this in severe warnings too, but he's like, hold up a second. You know, he, he was in, in, in a simple terms and in my terms, he was saying, check yourself for you wreck yourself. He had a keenness and an insight to people's the, the decisions they were making and they were making tons of decisions, but they were, they were uh, being careless with the most important decision that they would ever make. And that's, what's encouraging about reading Spurgeon is it reminds us as Christians um, that, that, Hey, the, the, the greatest opportunity we have is to tell people about Christ. And we get so caught up in life and, 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 and these kind of things that we let these objections just push the ball down the, uh, you know, the cart down the, the, the road. And, and sometimes we're not being a good steward of helping the people in our highways and byways um, look these, these important issues, you know, sh- straight in the, straight in the eye or whatever and deal with them. So um, I know I'm rambling here, but, but let's look at these, any of those stand out to you um, where you've been ministering to someone and they kind of give you that objection. I'm not ready or I'm not qualified to, you know, I'm, to be saved. I don't, I don't make quick decisions. Let me think about it for a while. Let me pray about it. Um, any of those, uh, that's all there on um, 78 and 79 is where he kind of unpacks that. So does anybody have any highlights or notes that, they, that kind of stood out there they want to bring? 
I did, Dennis. Whenever he said, um, Spurgeon said, thou canst not say I have no right. Uh, he said, you have perfect right to do what God tells you. And I think back to, I know um, a couple months ago, am I echoing real bad? I might need to put a earbud. Okay. Uh, a couple months ago, whenever Philip Padanastro, the fireman who's has, you know, pretty uh, stage four cancer, pretty severe. And he said, um, he told a friend of mine that, um, man, I can't, how can, how can I call on God after all these years and not follow him? And I just think about that and I'm still in prayer with him and I'd like to, I, I need to meet with him soon. Um, but that is a great, that's a great rebuttal. You do what God tells you to do. Yeah. Anybody else? I, I, I was in the uh, bottom, that paragraph on the bottom of page 79 where he says that he's viewing, he's viewing the, he, he anticipates that when somebody says that they would like to have more time to pray about it, that he sees that as an act of disobedience to God. But for the person that's being ministered to, they, they wouldn't even think of that being an act of disobedience because they're not in that mindset to where. So, uh, but I understand that point of view where, you know, Spurgeon's uh, view through this whole thing is that he doesn't want to take the chance of letting somebody go or think about it or have more time because he understands the importance of the then and now somebody having an opportunity to, to join, to go to heaven. But uh, I understand the disobedient part somebody that's not saved is not going to understand that. So, and even if we were to try to explain to him, you're being disobedient to God. I don't know that that would be, you know, I really like, I admire his, his way of ministering and his way of presenting the gospel in this, but it's just would be putting myself in that position. I, I love, you know, testifying, give my testimony to somebody to, as, as a part of me trying to lead them to Christ, how, how God worked in my life. But at the same time, using Spurgeon's viewpoint here would cause me to, not that I wouldn't want to do it, but it, it would be a change for me as the way that I present it. I'm sure all of us, you know, in that, in this uh, aggressive, I guess you could say, even though that doesn't mean we shouldn't be, you know. Yeah. Right. He stirs the pot. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, anybody else on any of that? Well, um, so we 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 can move on if if y'all feel good about uh, the authoritative commands um, and just really just taking away we're gonna face some objections you know I, I know um, you know as as you process that you know to to me as I look through this book you know I'm constantly asking you know just trying to ready my heart ready my mind you know um, you know am I being a good steward of handling the objections that 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 the people in my daily life have not just to, to believe in upon Christ, but to, to live it for Christ. I mean, even as, as a conforming into the image of Christ and, you know, as we're interacting with believers, um, what are the objections? What's, what's, what's keeping them on the bench and not getting them in the game. I mean, if there was ever a time that we need believers to get in the game and making an impact for the gospel um, now is the time, um, you know, in all the busyness, what happens? So, so if if Christ, if your decision about Christ is the most important thing you'll ever do, and nothing else really matters in comparison to it, we live in a world that's constantly bringing us to worry about something else other than that one particular decision. And so, what what we should be as people, and it, the way we could be a light bulb, is in our church, in our community, in our family. Is is just in different ways, come back and say, this is the most important issue. And I think that's what stands out for me about Spurgeon is he was just such a loud mouthpiece of this is the main thing. You know, this is the important thing. So um, I want to get to that last section without running out of time. So let's jump to this, um, this next se session of severe warnings. And, um, and just big picture here. Um, I broke down, broke them down to four simple little warnings. Um, warning one is tomorrow is not guaranteed. So as I'm, I'm walking through these and we'll look at them in the text a little bit, just ask yourself for a moment in your heart. Do you realize that tomorrow is not guaranteed that you might not wake up tomorrow? You might not have one of your loved ones tomorrow. You know, tomorrow is not guaranteed. 
Um, I know with my grandparents, I mean, I had opportunity after opportunity to go meet one morning and have breakfast with my grandpa. Um, Shay had that with her dad. And just, you, you know, just since the flood, you know, the flood's not that long ago, but between the flood and COVID, I lost both my grandparents. Shay lost her, uh, her dad, and we lost some other people, some friends and stuff like that. But, 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 but I don't know if I'm still getting that. But we need that warning. We need someone telling us that warning. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Make the most out of today. And then warning two is the reality of hell. I remember a guy talking to me one time, and I was trying to share the gospel with him. And uh, really, he was interested in me because I was doing good with, with, with the job, and we were both learning the job together, and he wanted to glean from, from my learning of the job. And, um, and I kept telling him, I was like, you know, he's like, how do you learn that? How do you know this? I'm like, and I would always kind of just pick with him and I'd say, cause God's good. <laughs> God's just opened my eyes to it. I, I don't know why he just gives me a blessed mind. And I, I just learned things fast, you know, and I'd always pick on him like that. And, but anyway, back to this, the reality of hell is one day he, he really always thought that I lived in a fantasy world when I would talk about God and heaven and all that, he felt like in the real world, you know, there's, this is the way it is. And, and, and I told him he, he got mad at some family members he had that were like drug dealers and, you know, messing with prostitutes and stuff like that. And then they got saved and they were trying to tell him about the Lord. And he just thought that was hypocritical and he couldn't get past their testimony that they used to be terrible. And now they're acting like they're holy and good people and all that. And I, and, and he just was bothered by that. And I remember it came to the point, I said, let me ask you this. I said, if that person believes without a shadow of a doubt that, he, that he, heaven and hell is a real place. And they know that if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to die and go to hell. Would it, isn't it the most loving thing they can do to tell you about hell? And, and he just had all these struggles with who do they think they are to be telling me about hell? And I, and, and I just tried to talk to him. I said, look, I know what you're saying here. They used to be this way, but they found an answer. They found Christ. They're different, and they don't want you to make the same mistake they made. And uh, but, but I remember one time he said, he basically said something. He said, you know, that I, basically that I live in a fantasy world or whatever, just by believing in heaven. And I said, no, for me, this is the reality. And and one day when you die, you're going to find out whether it's a reality or not. So Spurgeon, and I think we could be challenged in that area that do we speak as if hell is a reality? I think the church culture as a whole has slidden away from that. I think it's been so long since the, the church actually preached about hell or talked about hell as a real thing that I think it's people. Um, it's sheep has got away from that. But um, so tomorrow's not guaranteed the reality of hell and you can't rebel forever. One thing Spurgeon dealt with a lot. And one of the reasons he called people to respond today was because um, his opponent, his theological opponents had a basic belief. And I've, I've confessed this belief before. Um, when thinking about a person that has been rebelling and rebelling is that until they have their last dying breath, they can still be saved. Um, you know, I've confessed that before. I, I can't say that I don't still believe it, but in Spurgeon's day, he was adamant against people that said that because he was the opposite. He's like, today is the day of salvation, but he was adamant and he thought them to be poor ministers because he felt like he was, they were giving them an excuse to put off today, put off till tomorrow what they can do today and what they might not have the opportunity to do tomorrow. So Spurgeon had a more serious approach to that. Um, some might even would say too serious, but, but we've already talked about that. And warning for, and warning for the time will come sooner than you think. Um, I know like, Mike, I got this Friday, uh, uh, Kate will turn 18 and she'll, uh, she'll be graduating. I, thought, I get it Saturday, I believe yeah, midday Saturday, she's graduating. And I'm at my, my brother-in-law's house yesterday and my, um, my nephew, 
he starts talking to me and his voice is changing. I said, are your voice changing? She's like, yeah, he's got whiskers on us you know, up there. But, but, it, but, but it, 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 it's going to come sooner than you think. You know, we think we got all the time in the world. Heaven is real. It's coming sooner than we think. And, and we need to stop like just that. We need to stop putting off telling someone about the Lord. We need to stop putting off, letting them make, you know, excuses if we have been telling them for the Lord. So I just thought that was a, a an array of four warnings that I hope that um, in that simple form, you can take a little time if you, you know, hadn't already, but maybe this week to just kind of think through that and pray through it and ask, you know, find which one convicts you the most, which one is the Lord or the Holy Spirit putting your finger on to, to, to improve in, you know, in the days to come. So anybody on that severe warnings or any of those, any highlights you made that was um, pages 80 to 83 in the book. Not all at once. <laughs> well, it, just, it doesn't come natural. I know it's the right thing to do. Um, kind of have a little bit of all, all approaches for everyone, you know. And, and yeah, this thing about you, you might be dead tomorrow is, is something worth saying. I don't know, it just doesn't come easy to me. And I, I got to work on it. That's right. He's right. He's right. You got to say, um, you know, you got to be prepared for the end of your world. Yeah. You know, I, I know Mike and maybe Shane knows this one, but uh, Mike knows that Amy Crow, uh, Calvin Crow's wife, but at her funeral at Greenville Springs a while back, and I've met other people like this, but I remember one thing that stuck in that, in my mind from that funeral is the pastor, her pastor at that time had said that, uh, that there was no one that knew her for, or, or spent time with her for 15 minutes and, and she didn't tell them about her Lord. Um, that, that that was so fundamental to her that she's going to have to tell you, if, you, if you're going to spend 15 minutes with her, she's going to have to tell you about her, her Lord. And, um, and, 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 and as I was looking at this, um, it says, um, it says, of course, and it's on 82 or starting up on 83, of course, these severe warnings were given with a loving purpose, spurging with compassion, hoping that unbelievers, believing sinners would flee to Christ for salvation. Come then, let the threatening have power with you. I do not threaten because I would alarm without cause, but in hopes that a brother's threatening might drive you to a place where God hath prepared a feast of the gospel. Um, I think that says a lot about Spurgeon and the fact that he wasn't threatening idly or just for the sake of being bold or, or arrogant or anything like that. He had really been changed at the core of his being that, that, that everything within the fiber of his being, he had to tell people about Christ. He had to see people get converted. And I, I think, you know, you say, well, we're not like Spurgeon, right? Well, if you think about the meditations of our heart, sometimes we just get distracted with the world and we don't daily, you know, if we wake up every day and we say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thou wilt be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. You know, there's a basic idea there, but, but do we say, thank God for the simpleness of the gospel. Thank God for the cross. And like, do we have that attitude? Like I gave that example about the Burger King gift card. Do we have that attitude that, hey, today I'm going to walk out in this world. And it's not based on how qualified I am today. It's not based on how talented or skilled or how hard I work today. It's based on if God gives me an opportunity to point people to the cross, will I do it? You know, will I be available when the homeless guy comes to my door and not have the attitude? I ain't got no money. <laughs> Just listen. Can I help you? And, you know, you might. I ain't got no money, though. You know, but 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 can I help? I just need to know where Birking is. You know, can we just hear the, the voices around us? 
and say, you know what? I know you have a hard time, but you need to realize Christ is real and eternity is forever. And it's coming sooner than you think. You might want to take a little moment to think about that. You know, I mean, it's just Burger King's down the street, you know, in a spiritual way. That's all we're doing. But but do we do we approach that that way, or are we so caught up in the in all the difficulties of our job and our and our and our schedules and our wives and our kids that we just don't invest those moments of simplicity there? Um, let's see, we got twenty minutes. Any, any thoughts on that before we hit the last little little part? As pages. Um, just overall, Dennis, I mean, I, I know I'm absolutely guilty of this. We just get so caught up in the, sorry if the birds are really loud here, but um, we, we just get so caught up in just not the urgency of it, you know, and um, we don't really think about it until we find out that, that somebody has died or someone is, is on their deathbed. And then we, we start questioning, like, did I really do enough, you know? But the, the old analogy that used to kind of rock my world, and it still does when I think about it, is, is you know, if, if, if your neighbor's house was on fire, what would you do? You know, would you, hey, knock on the window and kind of, why don't y'all pray about getting out of there, you know? Um, hey, you know, I just want to tell you, there is a way out, you know, the door, you know, and kind of yelling at them through the, through the window and stuff, you know? Or would you do everything in your power to you know, get in there and see if anyone's in there that needs to be saved, you know, and that there is a certain urgency associated with that, you know, I mean, I know a professional fireman that's on this call, you know, I could call him like, Hey, won't you, won't you let me call my friend fireman and, you know, I'll just hang on. <laughs> hang on, he's coming. You know, be a little bit, huh? Yeah. But you know, that's, that's the urgency that's associated with what we're talking about, but we have a way of being distracted and I, I, I certainly think it's a spiritual battle that's going on that, that brings forth those distractions. So I had an example, I guess, about a week ago. Was you going to say something, Shane? Go ahead. But I was at a pool and we were chatting there and uh, it was a grandma and the daughter and she had a baby she was holding, and, and they had two other little kids hanging around the pool, and we we're all just sitting there talking. And all of a sudden, the little girl falls in the pool. And I look at the mom, and I mean, like, it's amazing how many things go on in such a short set, you know, in, in the milliseconds of situations like that. And and um, and I look at the mom, she's holding the baby, and she's like, I can't help her. You know, she's got this dotty face, you know. Grandma ain't doing nothing. No. And, and I, I'm sitting here, and my first thought was this. I had AirPods on me, a, a brand-new cell phone, and, a, um, and, a, and pretty much a brand-new Apple Watch. And, and I was totaling somewhere like $2,200 of electronics on my body that I'm fixing to jump in this water. And I looked at and I and in all this, I'm thinking that, and then I look, and I asked that lady, can she swim? But I can tell she can't swim. You know? <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, what else you can do? Nobody else is going to do anything. I'm not going to sit here and watch the, the, the girl drown. And I'm like, oh, there goes, you know, $2,300. But I did have Apple Care on everything. And they did, they did survive. They were waterproof, whatever. Praise God. But, like, I had that thought. There was something that was slowing me down. But, but, but at the end of the day, in the final analysis, this precious little child's life was at stake and it was worth more than $2,200, you know, and, uh, and, and somebody's got to act or it's going to go bad. You know, and I, th I thought about that. I mean, in reality, that's what we're talking about. We may somewhat think that heaven and hell is a fantasy, but it's not a fantasy. It is a real, it is as real as that little girl was going to drown if someone didn't jump in there and get um, she couldn't save herself, and there's people that you're interacting with that can't save themselves, and it might cost us $2,300, you know, of electronics to, 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 to save someone, but just buy Apple Care. <laughs> but anyway, so any, any other thoughts on that, and we'll, we'll finish up with the last little. I just like on the, on, go ahead. 
I was just going to uh, say that I feel like the uh, the call to, to preach on hell and the seriousness of it just <laughs> – for me personally, as far as uh, I say personally, for, as far as the churches that I've been going to, I've had some really good pastors, and I I don't know if I can recall a message I've heard in church where it preached on the the realities of hell. Yeah. And there's that old saying that you know sometimes it takes a message like that to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> you just don't you just don't really find that I don't find these days too much. And I, I think the reality is culture has got away from it. So we acknowledge that. And then I think, as we've talked about in this call, surely we're not Spurgeons, right? And we've all said, hey, look, he's kind of challenging us with some things that we don't know that we can pull out. But there is a way. It may not happen over, over uh, it may not happen overnight. And we may not need to full out go on to talking about hell, but it's at least something, hell, sin, death, those kind of things. There's repentance. Um, those are all things that need to be a, a, a part of the equation because they set the, the reality of the severity of the moment. It, 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 it talks about the need for forgiveness. And if we have a moment, I'll, I think I sent it out in a text, uh, but I'll, I'll read something that, that speaks to that because I think we as as a as a church as a whole we've kind of lost the reality of what the holy spirit is doing in the form of the gospel and since we're talking about it, i'll just say this is what a seeker friendly gospel is trying not to be offensive to the flesh but i think i sent that out to you guys in a text i have to go back and look at it but it says that the first thing that the holy spirit does when it starts to work to save a person is it comes and it finds them with a good opinion of their self. Go look at any of that Ray comfort living waters, um, evangelism, street evangelism. And he's got people coming out of bars, sleeping with people, you know, lying and stealing and all that. And he's like, do you think you'll go to heaven? And Oh yeah, I'm a good person, you know? And so the, that self-righteousness is what that is. And so we all have a self-righteousness. We all think we don't deserve hell. Like everybody, it's just part of And so if the gospel doesn't come and offend that and bring you to a place where you confess, not that I feel like someone's shaming me, but the Holy Spirit actually does a work where it says, I am in, in danger of hell. I have really offended God. And like, I'll give you a simple example. I was in a church. Um, a while, a long time ago, um, shoot, you know, 25 some odd years ago, and I went, it was a spirit-filled church, and a lady had come, and she was kind of prophesying and praying on people, and they were speaking in tongues, there was just a lot, a lot of spirit going on, is all I can tell you, and anyway, I went down, and, and I didn't know what was going on, and it was just laying a hand, just slain in spirit and stuff, I, I didn't know what all that, I knew my grandpa probably didn't want me to be there, but anyway, what I'm getting at is this, something happened where God's spirit because this is what was happening. I was trying to do better. I, I, the spirit was working in me where I wasn't good enough and I was trying to do better and better. And all of a sudden at that service, that spirit hit me. And what happened is all I can tell you is like my mind got smarter and clearer and it got smarter and clearer on the aspect of realizing all the mistakes I'd ever made. So like I had this like vague picture of the mistakes I made and I felt like I could probably fix those. But I remember God humbling me and the Holy Spirit humbling me. And he, he revealed and opened up some things to me that I was like, there's no way I can ever fix those things. And I was deeply grieved about it. So my opinion of myself just totally radically changed. And sometimes we would say that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's to build us up and be a Tony Robbins and pump us up and, and encourage us, you know. But, but that's the opposite of what Spurgeon is saying, that he's found to be the true work of the Holy Spirit, that he Holy Spirit comes, sees you already got a high opinion of yourself, and he's got to bring your opinion down and into reality so that you see your need for him. But the first thing you do when you see this is you start trying to fix it. And so the Holy Spirit has to go beyond that and overwhelm you and make you realize that there is no way if you did your very best for the rest of your life, you'd never fix this problem. And then you're at a rock bottom place where you're desperate and you're like, I can't save myself. How can I help? And then that's when you enter. He enters in Christ and he says, look to the cross. 
And that's when you can truly, you know, um, cling to Christ and Christ alone and put your hope in nothing else. And what's amazing is if the Holy Spirit doesn't do all this stuff, you know, and that's what's so dangerous about the seeker-friendly gospel, the watered-down gospel, or whatever, is because it allows for a measure of self-righteousness. It allows for you doing part of the equation, and you never are humbled to the point that, that you throw your hands up and say, you know, but be God, there's no hope for me. And it even and and that'll even affect the way you minister to other people, because if you think you did something, then you're you're trying to say, well, this is what I did. And you're trying to get them to do that. And and, and all that, you know, comes comes about. So anyway, I'm sorry, I, I chased a, a, a tangent there. But 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 it I, I think we back to what you were saying, you're talking about preachers in, in, in hell. There's the challenges of discipleship and evangelism of 2020 is we've got to get back to our roots. We've got to study people like Spurgeon and realize what was common for them. And we've got to get back to this point where we understand um, how far we've slid it, that we've gotten away from things that are actually pretty important. Um, I'll, I'll give you this one thing that I came across. I was reading um, one of his sermons and I didn't pick up, I'm a little slow on some of this stuff, but he said the city of Mansoul. And I didn't know what that was. So I kind of looked it up, the city of Mansoul or whatever. And anyway, if y'all saw, I don't know if y'all got that, but Jeff named his baby Christian from Pilgrim's Progress. And so I don't know how aware you are that, but Pilgrim's Progress was John Bunyan. Well, this reference of this preaching sermon I was listening to with Spurgeon, Mansoul, um, is the city from another John Bunyan book, um, A Holy War. Well, these books were written in 1650. Well, Spurgeon is preaching in 1858, 200 years later. My point is, is Spurgeon, a lot of times when he's preaching and saying stuff, he's saying stuff that you can follow along with. But he quoted the city of Mansoul to his audience um, as if everybody knew it and it would be, you know, um, un unreasonable to think they don't know something about Mansoul. My point is, is what the story is, the Holy War is about how the devil, it, it's, it, it's an allegorism and, and they were talking about Pilgrim's Progress and I don't want to go off on a tangent, you know, but, but if you know anything about Pilgrim's Progress, they uh, have names like um, Worldly Wise Man, um, and they uh, are they have these names um, that help you think about um, stumbling blocks that you face, like um, faithful fa faithfulness or, or, or uh, faithfulness. I'm trying to say the the not being faithful is what I'm trying to say. They'll come up with these names that make you think about this is where I went short or this is what I struggled with. When the same way with the Holy War, what he does is he goes into depth with these things of how the enemy comes and takes over the church or our lives. Because that's what Mansoul means. You know, the whole idea of the book is he's trying, the devil's trying to win or steal man's soul. And he talks about these, these natures of how to do it. What I'm trying to say is when you look at that and you realize that they were doing this in the 1600s, 50s Spurgeon was preaching about it in the 1850s as if everybody knew it but now in our day we have no idea what it's about and not only do we not know about the book we don't know about the concepts that the book is preaching about so like we think we're a spiritual people because we're arrogant but there are spiritual concepts that both of those books Pilgrim's Progress and the Holy War talks about that was common everyday knowledge for them that we're not we're not even thinking about and and i, I can't do that work for you you would have to go back and, and look at the book but what i'm trying to say is we fail to realize just how far we've fallen away and how ignorant we are and how far away from the basics we are and like my my grandparents for example i can say it this way 
they would have never stood for some of the things that are going on today. Well, we say, well, the times are different. No, yes, they are. Yes and no. The times are essentially not different. What they did to hold the line back then would work now. The difference is we don't know what they did. At the easy fundamental foundation, we don't know what they did. We have become an uneducated people, um, you know, on some of the most simple things. And like I said, I I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit there, but I've been reading a lot of Spurgeon sermons and it blows me away with how, because if you like the book, I will just want you to know that the best is yet to come. I mean, there's more that Spurgeon has to offer and other men like him. But when are we going to do the work to get back to the basics of the gospel and learn how to articulate that in a way? Because the challenge we face in 2022 evangelism and discipleship, the, the means and the method has always been there. They've already laid it out for us. They've already won their battles in it. It's already there. It's the question is, when is it going to get into us where we can articulate it in a way that impacts the community around us? And, and so like things like you said that you hadn't heard from about hell and stuff, that's just one of many things. Let's say maybe one out of a hundred that we're not talking about that would have a huge impact on our culture. And so if we're praying for revival, that's one way we can pray about it is that God would open our minds, our hearts, our, our eyes, and our ears up to these truths um, that, that have, have, what is it in Acts um, 17, six or something, it says, these are the people that turn the, um, the whole world upside down. It, we can still turn the whole world upside down again. If we, if we get a hold of those truths that have turned them upside down in the past, they'll turn them upside down again. It's not about us. It's about us getting away from our, uh, our propping up and our, uh, what else, our shenanigans of the gospel and get back to the meat of it itself. And, and, and I will say, I'll confess to you as I'm, as, as it's burning through my heart, I'm working. I do not think at 47 years old, being a Christian for 40 years, that I'm at a place where I am articulating the gospel better than I've ever done it before. If, if, if anything, it's a, it's a bad version. I mean, I could, I could think of times in the past where I articulate it better, but my heartbeat to you and my prayer for, for, for me is Lord, help us, give us the words to speak, give us the heartbeat to have. Help us speak your word, your gospel, the way you would speak it yourself. And if there is ever an anointing that has been pulled off of the people of our day, it's that. And he can change it in a moment. He can put something in our heart. He can direct our words just as he directed the authors of the Bible. He can direct our words, our actions, just like that. And that's the kind of move of the Holy Spirit we need. And the best thing I can say, and the reason we're doing the Spurgeon book and the reason I'm taking time to unprocess is because Spurgeon had a taste of that. He had a handle of it. Some of these other people had a handle of it. And I'm, I'm praying that as we read and we slowly walk through and we commit some of these things to our heart, that God will spur that same flood of passion and zeal and truth that he did in the day of Spurgeon and brought many of the people to the Lord, that he'll do that again you know, with, with, with the people in our day, that was a soapbox, huh? <laughs> well, um, let me, uh, if, if y'all have any thoughts, jump in, but, but I did say on this last one for y'all to think about on this eight, eight, the reason I wrote it that way, um, he had a passion for lost souls. And I wrote that, just think of these four words as we kind of finish up, a crown, a sermon, a church, and a way. It was only about two, two pages there for you to read. So this week, take time and go back and read it. But this is all I want you to take away from those four words. As he said, he asked the question, did, did Spurgeon want a, a Gabriel's crown? And Spurgeon said, no, I don't want Gabriel's crown. God's given me souls to win. And then he said, you know, the next one, a sermon. He said, a sermon without 
the gospel, a sermon that wasn't saving souls. What did Spurgeon think about that? It was pointless, a waste of a person's time and energy. And then a church. What about a church that's not winning anybody to Christ? What did Spurgeon think about that? He said, you know, if we're not winning souls, what are we doing? You know, we, we might as well shut the doors down and go and do something else, you know, and then away. He said, if people are going to go to hell, they should do it over us grabbing their legs. And in and, and, and simple terms, I would just say the old phrase, over my dead body. <laughs> you know, you've heard people say that ain't going to happen over my dead body. Do we have that kind of zeal that if people in our lives are going to go to hell, they're going to have to do it over our dead body because we're going to lay down and do everything we can to plead for them not to go down that road. And so as you think about that, let that be a motivation for you as you pray for revival, as you pray that, you know, like I'll say like this, we talked about it at the first of the year. We hit, we had four things. I'm going to try to remember is one, let's pray for someone to get saved. Someone that had never known Christ that they'd come to know him for the first time. We wanted to pray for young believers, people that kind of, uh, kind of was saved, but they got a lot of growth to do that. We just pray that God would just kind of surround them and give them good truth and, and just grow them up in a good way. The third thing was um, people that had kind of had a zeal before and they kind of fell away from their first love and they weren't active. That might be some of us to, today that we would, we would pray for that. And the fourth was people that have absolutely fallen into deep sin, um, maybe a fair, um, maybe, you know, drug addiction or something, maybe lying and cheating, you know, whatever, that, that they would come home. And we said we would pray, you know, in 2022, that we would think about those four groups of people, that we would ask God to reveal people to, like that in our lives and that we would minister to them. I can't think of a better time to bring that back to your attention than what we've talked about this morning. I can't think of a better time than what these four things, a, a crown, a sermon, a church, a way. We're not in heaven yet. We're not laying our crowns at Jesus's feet yet. You know, we still have an opportunity to win souls, to be a part of telling people where the Burger King is, you know, and our sermon might not be from the pulpit, but we have a message. We have a, a message about Christ to give other people a direction. We get to be a part of a church. Even what we're doing this morning, we get to come together and pray for the ones you Jane brought up one of his names that what's it's I know you, you always say it best but Panastro or how do you say it Paternostro Paternostro and it's what's the first name Philip Philip but we have an opportunity to pray for Philip and his fact that he doesn't feel worthy and that his time is really really short but we can do that together you know um so anyway, I'm going to shut up for you guys to make your final thoughts and we'll close in prayer. Um, what you think? Well, thank you, Dennis. Uh, I'm glad I'm a part of this group. Uh, I, your encouragement means a lot to me. Uh, I don't know how to get to other people. and I don't know what's happening with uh, the churches that aren't doing what they're doing. But uh, Keep me in mind and keep me informed if you find a good church and a good preacher <laughs> moving around with you. What do you think, Mike? Final thoughts? Not much to add. I appreciate, appreciate you sharing this morning, Dennis. You got the good sun glow. I had it a while ago, but mine still went down. Got the head yeah. glow there. What you think, Shane? I don't have a whole lot. Rusty, final thoughts? Uh, uh, thank you for your preparation and your sharing. It brings a lot of me thinking for me to do this week. I just want, uh, as as you were closing with your thoughts, I just was thinking like our uh, our time with somebody trying to lead them to Christ might be more than just one occasion. It could it could stretch on. So we need to understand that that even though we walk away and we didn't. Uh, bring them to salvation that that the uh, opportunity could still exist 
at some point in the in the future. So it's not like we're failing. It's not a matter of us failing. If, if we try to minister and they're not uh, accepting it, I think the failure they're they're, they're the ones who's losing right there. You know, we need to get, we need to just keep keep trying you know, yeah. through through God in our hearts. You know. Well, um, I've got three. Oh, something's echoing there. I got three sermons that I've been reading. That's a Spurgeon sermon, and they're like ten pages long. And where my brain is now, it's it's a little challenging. You know, I have to just break it up in little parts. But what I've done is I have so I got one here, but I carry like a little. That's ten pages folded in half. I just carried around with a pencil and I I jot notes. And sometimes I have to just take it at at, at little pieces. Um, but but I feel led that that's what I should be doing. I think Spurgeon is very poetic. He's very descriptive. He dives extremely deep in some issues. Um, and, but what happens is you got to take theory and you got to get it in, in you, um, where you can apply it and you can apply it sort of effortlessly. Um, RC Sproul's used to talk about the doc, the, um, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He said, it's an easy concept to get in your mind. What's so hard is to get it, you know, in your bloodstream or, you know, some people say, you know, about Jesus in your head and you miss heaven by 18 inches because you know about him in your head, but you don't have it in your heart. And so I, I pray for that for us, that we that the Holy Spirit would show us something simple that um, that we need to daily work on, that we need to daily begin to kind of keep coming back to meditating and focusing on and get it into our system and in our blood system and down into our heart, into the core of our being. And 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 that that thing that God puts in the core of our being from us seeking him and coming to him that 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 be the thing that that moves the mountains that that be the thing that changes everything and so i would ask you to seek that um we all know we need to be discipled uh, but the greatest part of discipleship is just your daily meditation you know daily getting in your word daily praying daily asking god to to guide your steps and um so be faithful in that you know that's that's what i would encourage you to do so um I'll close this in prayer. We'll we'll lift up Philip, Patton, <laughs> Mr. Philip. I'm gonna have to go with that. So, um, and then Jeff's big. Dennis, another thing is we we was talking about Paul uh, this coming week is the, his son's wedding is Friday night, which is the twentieth. Friday night. Yes. Yeah, and the just 20th. and just you know without letting out you know, too much. I just asked Paul about that, but she's, she's Catholic and, you know, th th there's some blending that still has to be some, some becoming one. And so anyone that's been married for some time knows the challenges there. And uh, I, I, Paul didn't express them, but I think there was a few little concerns. So um, they, they, they need the favor of the Lord to, you know, knit, knit them together and, and prepare the way for them. So, um, all right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just come to you this morning and I just um, lift up Mr. Philip. Um, we've, we've, we've addressed that he feels like he's not qualified. Um, he, he feels like he's rejected you in the past, Lord, but Lord, we know that you in the name of Jesus, by the Holy spirit can break all those walls down. And we just ask for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask for Mr. Philip, we ask, we come together united. We say right now, Lord, whether it be Shane speaking to him, someone else speaking to him, or you just working in his heart right this moment, Lord God, we ask you to break down his walls of resistance, his intellectual objections, Lord, and we ask you to draw his heart to you in a mighty way. Lord, I ask you to be with Christian, um, Jeff's little young, young, young son. I ask you to be with Jeff and Amy, be with the doctors, Lord, and I just ask you that you just do an amazing work in him, Lord God. We want to rejoice in all that you do as you guide them as parents and him and develop him into um, to, to communicating your love and grace to a to a um, lost lost world that needs to know about your love and grace. And Lord, I ask you to be with Josh, um, Paul's son and his bride to be I ask you to be with their wedding Friday ask you to be with the families that are going to come along and support and, and guide through all that. Lord, just ask you to just have a sweet time there that you, uh, 
you open their minds to the reality of marriage and what it's all about, how important it is. And Lord, I ask you to just do something in their hearts that it says when, when you, you says you join two people together and that what you join together, let no man separate. So Lord, I ask you to be with that process because it's, it's not just a ceremony. It's not just a day on a calendar, Lord, you are going to make them one flesh. And so Lord, let that be exalted. Let your glorious works of marriage, um, be done and, 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 and honored in, in that, that place this Friday. And so Lord, I ask you to just be with us, be with us as we go through this week. I, I, I just, all I can say is I ask you to open our, our minds and our hearts. Um, we know because of the fall, our mind and our heart, our conscience, our affections are damaged, Lord God. And so Lord, only by you, only by your grace and mercy, only by the resurrection power can you renew those things. And so, Lord, we come to you. Your word says if, if your people called by your name will humble themselves, that you'll heal their land. And we ask you to start with our minds and with our hearts. We ask you to give us clear focus thought on the things that matter to you. We ask you to, to give us a heart that that can administrate your most important messages in the right time, in the right way, at the right tone, Lord God. We depend on you for everything that's excellence, Lord. And so, Lord, I ask you to get us off the bench, to put us into the game, and only by your might and power can that happen. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, I hope y'all have a great day. Let us know if you do. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. See y'all.